You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. The man who is truly masculine in a healthy way will make the people around him feel safer. When a husband and father gets it right, his family feels safe. When a husband and father has it really wrong, they feel afraid and it's often afraid of him. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Dez. All right, well, once again, welcome to Momentum. All around Australia, you're with Tim and Dez and our special guest, which we'll get to in just a moment. But we are so appreciative of you tuning in. Uh, Thanks so much for doing that. And, uh, you know, Momentum exists to help us all blokes do life just that little bit better and whatever that looks like for you. If you want to tap into a bunch of resources, have a look at our website, MomentumAustralia.org. And one of the resources we've got there too is our care line, which is just for you and my good friend and co-host, Des Kennedy will tell you a bit more about that. How are you this week? Des, are you good, my friend? Yeah, it's really, really good. I thought you were going to go right through there and miss me, no, man. I was, no. I was going to get really upset, but <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. No, look, uh, the Caroline is very important. It's, a, it's a great to have uh, the availability of a Caroline just for men where they can call one 800 000 uh, man, easy to remember, one 800 636 And this service is provided by our friends at Caroline Connections. Um, you can reach out and get help seven days a week. It's very important when you're alone and you're doing life on your own, you don't have a mate you can talk to, feel free to call the Caroline, one 800 man It's from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. seven days a week, one 800 000 man 636 yeah, one of our core messaging here at uh, Momentum is uh, get connected, guys. Get connected. Don't do life in isolation. We can tend to want to run away to our man caves, especially when life isn't going well. But uh, we're saying, no, do the other thing. Get connected. Reach out if you need to. And, uh, you know, we're talking about men and masculinity again on this week's show. Last week, we had Al Stewart on the show, and he's joining us again to talk about his book, The Manual, Getting Masculinity Right. Al, it is awesome to have you back, my friend. Thank you. Uh, great to be back, Tim. Good day, Des. Good day, man. We we uh, we left uh, last week's show on the sobering thought. <laughs> yes, uh, a life of healthy masculinity will always have a self-sacrificial element to it. And Al, you went on the record and said that generically men are more selfish than women. I think is what you said, uh, which I think is is probably fairly accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Just fairly accurate. Oh, I think that's true. Yeah, I, I would agree with that too. Um, but essentially, uh, giving your life up, serving others is is how you find not only healthy masculinity, but I think true fulfillment, right? I mean, uh, it, it's an example of Jesus. You know, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And if we're following his example, then naturally servitude is going to be a part of our lives. Yeah. And I think as you, as you invest in the lives of others, that you find fulfillment. And also the more selfish your life is, the more it shrinks down. It's that kind of, but it, it's kind of an ironic, but it, it's it's obviously true if you take the long view of life. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think we could all give examples of uh, how we've been in that situation where we've been selfish, and we you know there's a price to be paid for that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, we talked in the show last week, Al, about I'm going to go back a couple of steps. We talked about young men getting lost in a virtual world. You said. And you talk about in the book um, the effect that pop culture has had on masculinity, and in particular the way that TV shows over the last decades in particular have painted men and fathers to be incompetent and incompetent fools, I think is the line that you used in the book. And, I mean, we can all see that. And you know, it's something that irritates me 
often when I watch TV shows or adverts, particularly where it seems like the woman is saving the day, these guys, and the guy's just an idiot in the background, doesn't know what to do. The woman comes and saves the day. And I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't be promoting women stepping up and stepping forward. That's not what I'm saying. But at the, at the expense of the man is my challenge. But when you look at that and pop culture and that effect that that is having on society at large, what damage do you think that that is doing to the male brand? I think you can track it from, well, maybe the 1960s, 1970s. We've gone from, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you, you see it. I, I think sitcoms are a kind of a canary in the coal mine. We've gone from, you know, happy days where um, uh, the dad is the non-anxious, wise presence. By the time you get to the late 90s, 2000, and Homer Simpson, uh, or everyone yeah. loves Raymond, or you know, uh, etc. And it is just kind of a drip, drip, drip that keeps saying men are fools. And in one sense, you can say, oh, well, you know, we're men have got broad enough shoulders to take it. Mm. You keep doing it enough and enough and enough mm. and enough, and it does begin to affect the way I think, especially the young ones think. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, even fantasy in the movies, almost every action movie I see these days, you've got a woman who weighs 48 kilos fighting three men at the same time and winning. <laughs> you know, so I, I just think, oh, we just, uh, anyway, that's yeah. the, and it's teaching young men wrong lessons. Yeah. I, I can remember actually coming to Australia in 1981 and being confronted with that same situation on a train and so i was traveling in the train and I, there, was, there was i was uh, on the upper carriage the plate the train was full and this younger lady you know i was in my early 30s this younger lady got on the train and i stood up and said please have the seat well she she gave me a torrent of abuse in front of everybody for suggesting that she wasn't able to stand in the train well, yeah and so, so I mean, that, that was my experience, first experience of that sort of attitude. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it was your Irish accent, Des. Uh, well, it could have been that too, but I, I, I just <laughs> sat down again. <laughs> but, well, on the flip side, I'll see uh, older women um, standing and these young men in trains who won't stand up for her. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. I, you, know, there's a, you know, I'm old enough to think that actually you should treat women with respect. Yes. You know, I think we can all agree that men feel confused about man, manhood, masculinity, what it means to be a man, all that sort of jazz. But do you think also that um, men might also deep down feel shame about their manhood, being a man, being male, because of the negativity surrounding masculinity in general? Do you think there's an element of that? I read as much as I can, and there are some... You know, you, you read in the media, et cetera, that occasionally, you know, boys at school are kind of shamed for being male and told to stand up and apologise to the class just for being male. But I think that's fairly rare. Mm. Um, most young men that I speak to uh, want to make a difference, want to be positive, but there's just a, there's a, um, a confusion about what does that mean and how, like, it's the classic like this is do you stand up for a woman on the on the train or not yeah it's that, mm. if i if i don't stand up do i feel guilty because yeah. my mum told me i should if i do stand up is she going to get stuck into me about i you know I, yeah. there's a confusion um rather than shame that's how that's how i'd put it yeah even confusion about you know like what's a woman what's a man what's the uh, that and th there's those who deliberately want to confuse and muddy the water 
Yeah, I was just going to mention the whole transgender thing and the impact that has on young boys in particular. Um, is that something that you want to talk about? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> uh, there's only two sexes, male and female, and uh, it's a biological fact. Uh, do scientists measure male or female particularly by your reproductive system? Not even so much your genitals as the they call it gametes, the sexual reproductive cells. Uh, if anyone wants to look it up, uh, Deborah So, the end of gender. She's a neuroscientist, uh, etc. I've waded through all of this stuff. So, if you want to know, you know, what's a man? Well, that's an adult human male, and what's a woman? An adult human female. It's not complicated. Yeah. If if sex is is the word for male and female. What's gender? Well, here's my theory. Um, uh, people can argue, but they'll be wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, gender is the social or relational expression of being a man or of being a woman. Okay. Now you can be gender non-conforming, and we used to say so if you were a girl um, a few decades ago and you were gender non-conforming, we might call you a tomboy. But you're still a woman or you're still a girl. You just mm. like climbing trees and chasing dogs or whatever. Or you can be um, a male and be gender non-conforming and be, have more feminine characteristics, but you're still a male. Mm. And so gender will vary from person to person and culture to culture. So my ancestors grew up in the Isle of Skye chasing and killing each other with claymore swords while wearing skirts. Oh, sorry, kilts. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah. you wear a kilt as a Scotsman. It's not. It's just a different yes. expression of gender. Yes. Uh, or we went to Egypt on holidays, and these two big burly Egyptian men would meet each other and kiss each other on both cheeks. There's nothing feminine about that, no. but it's a different culture. Mm. So gender is how you express masculinity, and there's a continuum. Some some blokes are more masculine than others and some might be a little more a little less kind of capital m masculine yeah. but i think that's the difference between gender yeah. and sex sex is yeah. binary yeah gender is a there's a kind of a continuum so i mean i remember uh the states passed a law i think which um if you as a parent don't agree with your child's wish to uh, change gender or something, the government will step in and remove the child from you. I think I think that's recently been passed. In Victoria now, it's illegal to try and um, uh, slow down or talk someone out of gender transition, uh, although it's further down the track in the USA, yes. Right. I'm, I'm no expert on the whole transgender thing. I've read a few books about it. Um, if people are looking to understand the science, Ryan T. Anderson, when Harry became Sally, is very good. But... There's a there's a social contagion about young ones and and the transgender thing at the moment. People who are genuinely have have gender dysphoria need to be treated with love and care and and really looked after and treated so gently. Uh, okay, so that's yes, but there's a social contagion about more. It's multiple multiple times of what it was a decade or two ago. Uh, if people are looking to try and understand it, Abigail Schreier's book, um, Irreversible Damage, is mm. the one to go to. 
And she does show how it's really a, a social contagion boosted through the internet, etc. Um, if people are looking for a summary of that, there's a review of it on the Gospel Coalition Australia website. So, so okay. that's it's it's a major problem. Uh, what worries me is there's all sorts of young ones going to be permanently damaged through this, mm. and all sorts of parents in pain over it as well. If you don't mind, let's end the first part of the show speaking to dads particularly who um, perhaps are parents of boys or girls who are struggling with this. How, I mean, do you feel like you can speak into that space? Is there advice you could offer them how to parent that? Yep. I'd just say, I'd say three things. One is um, there are parent support groups out there and uh, I've read about that. You need to be careful, though, which kind of support groups, but there are groups that will support parents in pain over this. If you're a Christian person, to find a Christian GP who has thought through on this would be a, would be a great help. But the consistent theme that comes up in terms of limiting or trying to control this or slow it down is controlling access to the internet for your teenagers. Mm. And it's, it's the internet and... Uh, influences, etc., that spread this social contagion. And so I, what Abigail Schreier says is the parents who have actually got their kids through this and beaten it are the ones who have either controlled or severely, severely limited or stopped access to the internet. Uh, they would be the three things I'd say. And you could pray a lot would uh, be a good thing. <laughs> yes. yes, indeed. <laughs> Well, look, we're going to take a short break. I mean, that's pretty heavy stuff, but thank you for speaking into that space, Al. Um, we're going to take a short break and come back and continue our discussion with Al Stewart. Uh, we're talking about his book, The Manual, Getting Masculinity Right. Uh, encourage you to have a look around the website and find that. And also uh, check out our website, MomentumAustralia.org, as we take a short break and come back with Al in just a moment for the second part of this week's Momentum. This is Momentum a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. All right, well, welcome back to the second part of the show. It is Momentum. Tim and Des with you once again, and our special guest for the second week running is Al Stewart. The Manual, Getting Masculinity Right is his book, and we've uh, unpacked a fair bit in the first part of the show. Al, what we haven't done is defined what it means to be a man. And obviously the book, when you wrote it, one of its key goals, I suppose, was to redefine masculinity, help men understand what it means to be a man. So let, let's launch the second part of the show there and go, how do you, after all of this research and the book that you've written, what would you say what it means to be a man? How do you find it? Right. Um, well, to be a, to be a man uh, is a statement of you're an adult um, human male. Okay. Masculinity is then how a man is to live that out. Mm. Um, and uh, I, if, as, as I look, what I'll do in the book is walk people through what the New Testament shows about all the different roles that a man has as a son and a friend and if you're a father or a husband, etc. So my definition trying to pull that together is it's a willingness to step up and take responsibility and to care for and nurture the people around you. That's correct. So, is it, yes, a willingness to step up, to be reliable, to be a man who cares for others and, and to look after the people around you. That's what healthy masculinity looks like. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, there's a quote in the book that made me laugh, and I know you're going to enjoy this with me. Carol uh, Hooven 
And she makes a quote regarding her son. And she said, and you wrote, becoming a man is a beautiful thing, but like every man, my son should enjoy his testosterone responsibly. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. What do you think she means by that? How do we enjoy our testosterone responsibly? Yeah. There's people around who, who give testosterone a bad rap, okay? But you'd only do that if life is very soft and very safe. Because yeah. if you want men who are strong and and uh, will do the things men need to do, then testosterone's great. Like testosterone makes you sharper. Um, it gives you muscle mass. It, it actually is involved in you know your libido and sexual desire, etc. Just um, there's everything. You as as young men hit puberty, I think it's something like forty times as much testosterone that men have pumping around their body as a woman. And you can see the difference that makes yeah. once you get a if you get a trans woman in sport, all of a sudden they're a world beater. Why? Mm. Well, they got testosterone, and they've had mm. you know testosterone levels, and the difference that makes. So when she says it's a good book, actually the T the T word. When she says enjoy that responsibly, God's made men bigger and stronger and faster, etc., than women. Why? So we can care for them. So we can be responsible in the way that we use that. To mm. care for those who aren't as physically big and strong, etc. Mm. And it's when men misuse that that you really see toxic masculinity, and that's real. Mm. Um, so he's, he's saying, yeah, enjoy enjoy the testosterone, <laughs> bigger, stronger, faster. Yep, but use it responsibly. So, how would you describe the toxic masculinity? What does that look like? I think it's just abusing the power that you have, mm -hmm. and so. But, but what I'd say, I'd make a, what's the word? I'd make just one qualification there. Men misuse their power in certain ways. They're, you know, like be that domestic violence, which is never, never excusable, um, or kind of throwing their weight around. Um, but women will do it too in just different ways. Mm. So I think that kind of toxic behavior where you're, you're bullying or manipulating or frightening other people. Mm. That's toxic humanity, not mm. just toxic masculinity. Mm. Well, let me bounce off the back of that, Al, because you make a profound statement, and I love this, and I want guys to get this. The line in the book that I think is this, is this. It says, men become dangerous not because their masculinity is toxic, but because their humanity is. Unpack that for us. The default position of human nature is selfishness. Yeah. Men, men have a great opportunity to show that. And the fact that we're actually bigger and stronger in relationships, the fact that we just have kind of power because of who we are and social dynamics, it, it means that that opportunity is open to men. Mm, and yeah. we really do need to grow up, step up, and use it to care for and love and make people feel safe. Mm. That's the call to real masculinity. Mm. Yeah. I, I actually love this other statement in the book, and you say um, – are men perceived as being safer the less masculine they are? Healthy masculinity in a man should actually create the exact opposite feelings in people around him. In other words, yeah. he makes them feel safe if he's a healthy man. Yeah, that that's exactly yeah. right. Uh, the man who is truly masculine in a healthy way will make the people around him feel safer. That's, yeah, that's a great thing. And I, as I look back to the uh, some of the guys that I've had the privilege to work with and that I really respect – uh, that's true for them. Mm. Feel safer because they're there. And and uh, I think Steve Bidoff in his book Manhood said, when a when a man gets it right, 
when a husband and father gets it right, his family feels safe. Yeah. When a husband and father has it really wrong, they feel afraid and it's often afraid of him. Yeah, and we see that often, you know, guys who go to the gym and they, you know, I'm not talking about you, Tim, but men who go to the gym. <laughs> Thanks for the disclaimer. <laughs> and they've got all that muscle and so forth. And and unfortunately, it does come across in a negative way. And so I mean, they may have all the strength, but they don't use it to support and love their family and their friends and so yeah. forth. Yeah, mm, that's yeah. true. Great challenge for men is turning up. Uh, let's talk about men's mental health, right? We haven't talked about this yet. Um, in 2019, you write in the book, uh, 3,318 Australians took their own lives and three quarters of that number were male. So let's look at some of the reasons, and obviously you've done the research, but why do you think that for men in particular, taking their own lives and, and committing suicide seems like the best option? What is driving men to that place, do you think? I suspect a lot of it is, uh, well, at the heart of it is is a feeling of hopelessness, that there is no hope and uh, uh, it's it's a way out of the pain. Why? Well, there's, a, uh, I think, a loss of purpose, a loss of hope, relationship breakdown, feelings of failure. Um, it's interesting how many men say they don't have close friends, mm-hmm. they don't have the people to talk to, et cetera. Um, from the from the reading I've done, um, it, it's not that men attempt suicide more than women. I think women are actually more likely to attempt suicide. It's that men get the job done because yeah. men are more likely to choose a very effective or violent way to do it. So that's the um, uh, the heartache, and and to have the you know the care line like you guys promote, um, Lifeline, etc. Uh, is a great thing, but even um, I think so many men don't have people to talk to, etc. Like I'm part of churches, and one of the big things that we need to keep doing in churches is to keep on giving men the opportunity to, you know, to care and support one another, etc. An avid issues that we raise every week is exactly that, you know, and and we, what we say is. Man, get yourself a mate alongside before you go anywhere near strife. Because when you, you head down the strife road, you will have nobody alongside you. And so best to find that person like right now and have that person in your life, sewing into your life and, and helping you through whatever it is you're going through. Men don't, don't do as well. The stats show, you know, men don't do as well after a divorce or family breakup. Uh, they don't do as well as women generally. Uh, why? Well, I think it's we don't have the support networks. Yes. And we're also mm. less likely to actually talk about the whole thing because you've got to appear to have your act together and yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all going to be hard men, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But speaking to that space, Al, right, and, um, and Des and I do, we talk about this on the show a lot. Guys get connected, have conversations. But speaking from my own experience, and you guys can chip in on this whenever you like, but uh, I'm 49 and I had this revelation 10 years ago that I needed other blokes in my life that I didn't have at the age of 38, right? When my first marriage fell apart, did that journey on my own. And that was the the wake up call for me to go, wow, uh, all of a sudden I am alone. Uh, my family's back in the UK. I've just lost my marriage. Uh, there's nobody around me. I haven't built relationships. But even 10 years later, I can say it is a struggle for me to get close guys around me. I could probably count on one hand the number of guys that I've got that I could run to in my speed dial and go, hey, can I have a chat? And maintaining those relationships in the current climate is still 
a challenge, right? We you've got to really be intentional with that. So I I, I just I'm just saying it, it's not easy. And even when you're intentional with it, it's still not easy. Um, but I don't know. Do you have anything off the back of that you can encourage them to keep reaching out? You know, and being intentional in that space. I think friendship costs. Yes, friendship costs a few different things. It costs time, and that means making time to actually, you know, to, to see your mates, etc. And it also costs in terms of forgiveness and patience, because everybody's mm. going to drive you mad at some time. Mm. Uh, and so it's being able, you know, forgive and put up with each other, etc. Um, but particularly in terms of making time. And, uh, you know, you can be too busy and uh, uh, et cetera. So I've got, I've got a, few, a few guys that I've been mates with for 30 plus years and, and that's gold. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's being deliberate about making sure that I'll keep up with, with a few guys, long-term friendships. Uh, but you're right, there's a, there's a cost and it means being deliberate about it. Yeah. yeah, and and also putting up with them because uh, your mate's going to drive you mad sometime. Mm. Well, they're going yeah. through their own issues um, as well as you going through yours. So, you know, it's uh, yeah. that mutual support, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And and generally, I know it's a cliche, but it's, it's actually true. Uh, women talk face to face. Men tend to talk shoulder to shoulder. So you talk as you do something. So you can play golf or go fishing or you kind of – you know, you do you, you, as you're doing something together is when mm. you uh, is when men talk. Yeah, so that can kind of take the sometimes the awkward edge off talking about <laughs> stuff that really matters. You know, <laughs> just to give you an example of that, um, we had a men's connect group in Brisbane, and there were, and it was a fishing group, and there was 109 guys in the fishing group. Why? Because they stood beside each other and they talked. And they talked about the football and they talked about everything, but also there were times where they talked about real stuff. And yes. it was it was worth yeah. its weight in gold. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Get connected. Yeah. Um, Al, as we wrap up this show, we, we are going to come back to something we did skip over. And it was something you mentioned about um, Jordan Peterson speaking into young men's lives about the five hard truths of life. Um, I mean, we, you talk in the book about initiations and rites of passage. Um, I actually did one a couple of years back and I'd never done one. I think I was about 45 at that stage. Um, cause I realized that there was parts of my, my manhood, um, that were still boyish, uh, and, and that needed to be, you know, dealt with. Um, and one would argue that perhaps part of the, part of the problem with men or part of the challenge for men is that they haven't had a initiation or a rites of passage or a man leading them into that adulthood well so i suppose as we wrap up let's have a quick look at the five hard truths of life i'll skip through them and then we can come back and embellish on them life is hard you're not that important your life is not about you you're not in control and you're going to die so sobering one at the end we'll we'll come back to that but uh life is hard number one do you think that that's um you know are we are we dare i say not saying that everyone's an entitled generation but it, as we we have this lifestyle that we live now the life is hard piece is not one that's embraced willingly yeah i think that uh, as a culture we do um we've got pretty soft and there is that big expectation that um life will be safe and soft all the time and uh when hard things come along it does tend to knock people around mm. i'm not saying we need to go back to the good old days etc cetera, etc cetera. there were problems in previous generations but um 
it's the expectation that, yeah, there will be hard things in life. Um, that is, I mean, that uh, these five hard truths come from Richard Raw's book, Adam's Return. Um, but you see, yeah, Jordan Peterson does pick them up. And that's one of his messages to, uh, to, to young men. Yeah, life is a tragedy. Brace yourself. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah, and it's expecting that. I think yeah. that's, um, uh, actually, that's one of the very clear messages of the New Testament, that, that suffering and difficulties are inevitable. Mm. So, um, you know, uh, uh, what the New Testament offers is not that you'll avoid any kind of suffering or difficulties, but as in the middle of that, there is hope yeah. that, mm. uh, you know, one day it'll all be sorted. Mm. Oh, can you explain the difference between number two and number three? So number two, you're not that important. And number three, your life is not about you. Oh, you're not that important really is that uh, you're not more important than other people. Uh, right. So, yeah. you know, you, you, yeah, you're valuable. You're made in the image of God. And by the way, everybody else is. So don't think you're all that special. <laughs> Um, like that saying, you're unique just like everybody else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're all individuals. If we, yeah, we're all unique. Uh, the, the one about um, your life is not about you, he's picking up the idea particularly that real life is found in the service of others. Yeah. So rather than life being about, hey, I'll follow my dreams and aren't I special and all of those things, etc. he's saying, look, if you really want to find life, devote yourself to a life of service and care for others. Mm. Sounds counterintuitive, but it's how you'll actually find meaning and purpose. Okay. Number four, you're not in control. When you think about how much of life you do actually control, uh, it's very little. Uh, we don't control, I don't mean just the weather and the stock market. I mean, you cannot control other people. Mm. You cannot. And if you try, uh, you'll either be desperately disappointed or you'll smother them. The only person on planet Earth you're responsible for controlling is yourself, and that is hard work. Yeah, mm. and and there's so many curveballs that come into our life that show us quite clearly that we're not in control. <laughs> um, I think it's James chapter four. You know, like yeah. you, you read, said, you're not in control. Yeah, there is someone who is, but it's not us. Yeah, mm. that's right. Almost all of life. And let's finish on the sobering thought number five: you are going to die. Yeah, uh, we don't like to think about it. We're in a society that avoids that, but yeah, it's inevitable. In fact, um, early this week, yesterday, yesterday, I did a funeral for um, my wife's cousin uh, who died, and uh, I'm the uh, you know I'm the clergyman in the wider family, so I get the job. Mm. Uh, it's a, it's an honour and a privilege, but boy, I tell you what, a funeral you sit in that room with that box and. Uh, clarifies the mind as a final thought al when we start to embody the five truths life is hard you're not that important life is not about you you're not in control you're going to die what what effect do you think that has on us as men and the way that we approach life richard raw's point is that that traditional cultures had the kind of initiation ceremonies that that particularly taught young men this and we've lost that as a culture. I don't know if we can ever get it back. He's saying you need to learn those five hard truths before you can be a useful man, before you'll actually not be kind of um, uh, self-obsessed and, and soft and that you'll actually harden up, life's difficult, and you'll be prepared to serve and care for the people around you. That's the point. 
I'm 64. I'm still working on trying to learn those uh, five hard truths. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm even a little bit older and I'm nowhere near where you are. <laughs> I, don't know. That's, I think that's, um, uh, it's worth thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Another thing that's worth doing, and it sounds cliche, but absolutely true, is grab a copy of the manual, Getting Masculinity Right. It is the book by Al Stewart. Al Stewart's been our special guest the last couple of weeks. Um, this book for, for guys absolutely is a manual and it will help you put some perspective and some clarity around some of the things we've talked around the last couple of weeks absolutely grab yourself a copy from kurong we can go online and find a copy of the manual getting masculinity right by al stewart who's been our special guest on momentum the last couple of weeks al you've put a lot of stuff out there man we appreciate your honesty your brutal honesty at times uh your frankness and we are so appreciative that you've written the book and have spent some time with this man thank you yeah it's been great thanks for the opportunity to discuss it guys you've been listening to momentum a show that helps men succeed in life for more information or to hear this week's show again, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum. Momentum.